Welcome to the Book Club Girl podcast, where we chat about great books with awesome authors, and you, our listeners, get to ask the questions. I'm Tavia Kowalchuk, and I love to read on planes, trains, and automobiles. On January 1st, 2014, I read Neil Stevenson's Seven Eves on a transcontinental flight from New Zealand to New York. It took me the whole 18-hour <laughs> flight to read the 880-page book. That is amazing. I'm Eliza Rosenberry. I read Euphoria by Lily King, which is a much shorter book than that, in a single sitting on a flight to Minneapolis a few years ago. And I, I had just picked up the book at the airport and it was like a total impulse buy. And two hours later, I was like so immersed in it. It was so great. But that I love I best. love when that happens. Oh, my God. It's the best when you just find a book and it's perfect. It's perfect. On today's show, Amy's older sister has disappeared, leading Amy to search the Netherlands and their family's past for the truth. We'll be talking about the mystery novel, Searching for Sylvie Lee. And later in the show, we'll be joined by New York Times bestselling author, Jean Kwok. Yay, I love this book. Um, before we get started, Tavia and I wanted to thank our listener, Susan, for her review of the podcast on iTunes. Susan says this podcast really feels like a book club on the day an author stops by. We love that, and that's definitely what we're going for. And Susan also said in the review that she liked the sample of the audiobook at the end. Um, so we're going to keep doing that. Stay tuned at the end of this episode for a sample from the Searching for Sylvie Lee audiobook. And thanks so much to Susan and to all our listeners for your feedback and for listening. We really appreciate it. And before we meet author Jean Kwok, we present to you Searching for Sylvie Lee, Abridged. Searching for Sylvie Lee tells the story of the Lee sisters, whose parents immigrated to New York from China years ago. Sylvie is the beautiful and brilliant older sister who was raised by relatives in the Netherlands. And Amy is the shy younger sibling who still lives at home with their parents in New York City. When they learn that their grandmother in the Netherlands is dying, Sylvie returns to her childhood home to visit, and then she goes missing. It's passive Amy's turn to go in and search for the truth. As she navigates encounters with relatives that she's never met before, and she also has to navigate police visits and her own identity. She is shocked to discover her family's deepest secrets. Searching for Sylvie Lee explores the Chinese immigrant experience in New York City and in Amsterdam and untangles the complicated ties that bond these sisters and the places they live. Eliza, what did you think of this book? <laughs> um, I loved that it's about two sisters. I'm the oldest of two sisters, and so when I was reading about Sylvie, who's the oldest, and Amy, who's the youngest, I was sort of um, reading and looking for differences and similarities between myself and these characters and the dynamics that they share. And so that was always fun. And I think with, with sisters and I think with close family, you know, you share this close intimacy and this bond, you know, you, you know these people so well. But at the same time, um, in this book, we see that the Lee family are sort of strangers to each other. And um, I thought that was a really interesting dynamic to see play out. Absolutely. That was one of the things that I really liked about this book was that, you know, this was a search for someone in the physical sense as well as in the metaphysical sense. Totally. So Amy 
as she goes searching for her sister's whereabouts and she's meeting all these relatives that she's never met before and they know all these things about Sylvie that Amy had no idea. Yeah. Like they just are tossing out casually these bits of information about Sylvie and so this is also Amy's search for who really was Sylvie? Who really yeah. is Sylvie? And who am I? How, yeah. how does that change who I am? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I read about searching for Sylvie Lee before I read it was an article that Jean had written about, and we'll link to it on the Book Club Girl website, but it was an article Jean had written about the real life disappearance of her own brother. And in real life, it turned out that Jean's brother had died in a plane crash, and but he was missing for months and no one knew where he was and Jean had to try and find out. Um, and it was a really incredible personal backstory. That's amazing. I hope we can ask her about that in yeah. our interview. I hope she's willing to share more about it. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, obviously it's not exactly the same story. This is a work of fiction, but you can see how some of the, the themes of responsibility and, um, you know, the way that things work in families when there's a crisis um, definitely made their way into the novel. So it's definitely resonant. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to talk to her about that some more. Yeah. We read um, a few weeks ago, uh, Never Have I Ever by Jocelyn Jackson. Yeah. And in that book, we had talked about how there were um, all these secrets that the main character was keeping and how it was like a burden for her um, to keep these secrets from her husband and from her family and her close friends. And I think it was sort of, I felt similarly reading this book, learning all of these secrets that all of the, all of the family members in the Lee family are sort of keeping these secrets from each other. And they think that they're keeping secrets to protect each other, but really it's harming their relationships and preventing them from becoming closer as a family. And so I thought that was, um, a really interesting thing. <laughs> it's a well, I mean, it's a very intricate web of relationships and totally. you know, we don't want to spoil anything for listeners who may not have yet read the book, so we're not going to clue you into what those, you know, intricacies are, but yeah. it is it is a tangled it is a tangled series of lies very and dissimulations. Yes, absolutely. I have to say something else that I appreciated this book was very elementary. It is just gorgeously written. Yeah. The prose, like she's such a stylist. I she has such a unique voice and I just I savored every sentence. You yeah. know, I, I was happy to, you know, not only was I pulled along by the plot, but I really just felt so good among her sentences. Yeah, and language is such an important part of the book. I mean, all of these characters um, speak English, but her, but the family members often communicate in Chinese, And but Amy is the youngest, and she doesn't really speak Chinese because she grew up in New York. And so the way that language is used in the book, I think, was very, um, very well done. I agree. I agree. And, you know, just on a very basic level, I liked Amy. I liked her yeah. so much. I was rooting for her all the way. I, I thought it was so brave of her to get on that plane and go to the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And I just sort of it just sort of unlatches a door for her. Yeah. And I just I just loved spending time with her. Yeah. Her journey through the book, she sort of starts off as this meek, quiet character who's very unsure of herself. And then through the novel and through her search for Sylvie, um, who has sort of like dominated um, their family and, and Amy's world, um, Amy sort of comes into her own and becomes her own person. And um, 
I loved reading that. Yeah, it's definitely one of the things about the book that makes it so special. Yeah, absolutely. One part of the book that I really enjoyed, there was this whole scene in Venice. Yes, I loved that. Oh my gosh. The ball, the masquerade ball. There's this masquerade ball and they and they take a gondola ride through the canals. It's yes. so romantic and I just love the way that Sylvie just picked up and left the Netherlands in the middle of her grandmother dying like she couldn't take the pressure and so she just went away for a weekend with her friends yeah and to her Venice cousin, and her and her grandmother like told her it was fine to go you know what I mean like she was guilty she was conflicted about it but her grandmother was like go you just need to like get away and enjoy yourself for a weekend and so she spent the whole weekend in Venice with her friends it was so much fun because Sylvie is so dutiful and so focused on doing what's proper and delivering what's expected of her. Absolutely. And I loved to see her just let loose a little bit with her friends. Yeah. And it seemed like it was a little bit of an out-of-body experience for yes, her. I totally agree. She kind of was really behaving unusually, and she was, like, there were, like, some romantic vibes with her and another character. and It was really fun to read. It really was. Um, well, we're really excited to talk to Jean. A quick reminder, we love hearing from you, our listeners. Um, you can join our Facebook group, The Book Club Girls, where you can talk with other book lovers and post your own questions to the authors who appear on the show. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash The Book Club Girls. Today, we're joined by Jean Kwok, whose book, Searching for Sylvie Lee, is out now. We're not the only ones who think this book is a fantastic choice for book clubs. It was also a Read with Jenna Today Show book club pick so cool. It really is. Jean, welcome to the Book Club Girl podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. We're so glad to have you. And Tavi and I have been talking so much about Sylvie Lee and her family, and we can't wait to dive in. Um, so to get things started, our first question is from one of your readers, Dana, on Facebook. And she wanted to know, Jean, what made you decide to write this story? Well, that's a really great question. And, you know, as with all great questions, there is a complicated answer. You know, when an author decides to write a book, there are always um, kind of different levels to that decision. Uh, first of all, for me, what's most important is the emotional impetus to write something. And the beating heart of this story of searching for Sylvie Lee is the disappearance of my own brother, um, just almost exactly 10 years ago. And so that was really what formed the basis wow. for my wanting to write this book. Um, and then, you know, intellectually, I was interested in issues of language and culture and race um, and how that all tied together into the mystery of what actually happened to Sylvie. Jean, I was telling Tavia earlier that I'm the oldest of two sisters, and so it was really fun to read the dynamic between Sylvie and Amy. And um, one of our one of your readers, Jamie, asked on Facebook, what made you decide to write about two sisters? Well, you know, like I said earlier, the emotional beating heart of this story is the disappearance of my own beloved brother. And as you guys know, you know, Searching for Sylvie Lee is about the dazzling, brilliant, beautiful sister who disappears. And the timid, shy, younger sister, Amy, who kind of has to get it together to figure out what happened to her. And in real life, you know, I was not the dazzling child. <laughs> I was the other one who, um, you know, when my dazzling, brilliant, beloved older brother disappeared, I was suddenly like, oh, uh, I guess there's no one to call. I mean, I guess no one's going to step up. I guess I have to be the person who steps up to figure out what happened to him. And so, you know, that was 
kind of the basis of the dynamic between the two sisters. But the reason that I made it two sisters instead of two brothers or a brother and a sister is that if I had allowed the person who disappeared to be male, I think that the gravitational force of the true story would have been overwhelming. I don't think I could have written a book that, you know, had its own freedom because it's like a book's like a child you know you love it you take (laughs) care of it you watch every single part of it but in the end you also have to let it go if you try to control it too much it's going to be a terrible book so and it will (laughs) rebel and run away and do a lot of drugs wendy on facebook had a few questions about a few of the amazing characters that you created in this novel first she wants to know about sylvie's husband jim It's not a spoiler to say that their marriage is not good and that it's really haunting Sylvie. Is Jim really at that masquerade ball or is she imagining him? And if so, why? And I love this question because I I had the same one. (laughs) Well, that's one of those situations where the answer could really go both ways. You know, it could be that Sylvie imagined him because she's got a lot on her mind and her life is at this kind of critical you know, point at that, at that, you know, that very beautiful kind of lush hallucinogenic um, trip to Venice with her friends. Um, So it could be that she imagined him, but it could also be that he's actually there. And I think the book leaves it unclear whether he actually is there or not. He definitely could be. (laughs) Um, I can't say more than that, than that it, it, that whole time period, that entire trip kind of walks on the balance of reality and you know and hallucination almost yeah. that's how it feels and it's how it feels to Sylvie so that you know that appearance of Jim's is something that we'll never know yeah. if that if he really followed her all the way there or if it was just that she was kind of overcharged at that moment mm-hmm. I love how you describe that trip as hallucinogenic it really felt that way um, when they, when Sylvia and her friends go to Venice in the midst of all of this other stuff that they're dealing with. It sort of felt like surreal. Um, another of my favorite characters in the book is Amy and Sylvia's grandma. She's totally unforgettable. She's wise and kind and patient, um, and she played such an important role in Sylvia's childhood. Um, and one of the readers, Wendy, also wanted to know about the treasure so this uh, this treasure is basically a a bag of valuable family heirloom jewelry that came with grandma from china and is traditionally passed down to the next generation and so can you talk a little bit about what that treasure represents to the characters and why it is passed down in the way that it is well you know i think in many chinese families you know we often we have a kind of um security in gold and in jewelry. In the book, Grandma's um, secret stash of jewelry is that kind of security. And it is something that a lot of women do. And so there's a special quality of it being handed down from mother to daughter. Um, Although pieces can be given, of course, to male children as well, but most of the time, the bulk of it will go to the daughter or serve as a part of the dowry or that kind of thing. And that's why that that jewelry has special significance. And when, um, you know, grandma 
has it and she actually wants to give it to Sylvie but is prevented by political reasons within the family, you know, with uh, other people being jealous uh, about the existence of Judge Jewelry and who does it truly belong to. And obviously, when the jewelry disappears, that is a big um, issue in the novel because that throws, you know, throws everyone. And then we start to wonder, well, what happened to it? Who took it? And are characters motivated by it? You know, are some of the characters not who we really think they are? Because it's a lot of money. It can change people's lives. And are there people who are putting on a front um, because of the value of that jewelry? Yeah. Yeah. I love how you call out that it's it's passed down from mother to daughter. You're so right that that's not traditionally how a lot of things are passed down in families. It's often father to son. So it's, um, I love that this is passed down in that way. That's so interesting. That's right. It's, you know, it's a way to protect them and to give them something that's just theirs, Mm -hmm. um, that they will always have, even if things go very wrong. I also enjoyed how this idea of the treasure really threw Amy for a loop in her investigation of what happened to Sylvie. Amy didn't know about this treasure and so it assigns motive for Sylvie's disappearance to people who might not otherwise have been involved. And I really enjoyed that. It felt like a little bit of a, you would call it a red herring in a more traditional mystery novel. Right. You know, that's true. You know, it's something that obviously provides a motive. And it is also a symbol because it's, we Chinese, you know, the gold that I always inherited from my mom was pure gold. And, you know, the thing about pure gold as opposed to carrot gold is that pure gold is much softer. It's more valuable, but it is easily bent. And in a way, the jewelry is also a symbol for grandma and her generation and for all that ma has lost because you know they had this kind of purity that you know but can it withstand the modern world can Mm. it withstand all the challenges that they have to face as women today michelle on facebook brought up a really great point about how your novel wrestles with what it means to be an asian american or an immigrant in another country from having to deal with things like racism, but also, on the other hand, the desire to feel accepted. And another reader, Nancy, asked, what is it like for the characters to have a foot in two cultures? How did you engage with these ideas, Jean, in Searching for Sylvie Lee? Well, that's really at the heart of the book, isn't it? You know, because the the title, Searching for Sylvie Lee, is about the physical search for Sylvie, but it's also about you know, who is Sylvie truly, you know, it's true, Sylvie is seen in so many different ways by different people in her life, and by herself, you know, and I think that that happens everywhere you know one of the questions that the novel poses is how well do we actually know the people that we love the Mm -hmm. most but that problem is exacerbated by a language barrier and a cultural barrier which you have whenever you have an immigrant situation so in this family of course we have these three women ma sylvie and amy who love each other so much but they are actually you know so distant from each other in some ways because ma speaks chinese uh, and only speaks broken english amy speaks english but 
can only understand a bit of Chinese, and Sylvie was brought up by grandma in the Netherlands and came to the U.S. later, and always felt like she, you know, she's kind of fighting to be loved um, her entire life, and she excels to try to achieve some kind of unconditional acceptance and love that she never feels like she can attain. And so what happens, for example, with Amy and her mom is that in the chapters, since each of the women are thinking in their own native languages, in their own chapters, the book is obviously all in English. But, you know, when we read Amy's chapter, we look at Ma, and we see a very beloved but simple immigrant woman, and who can only say a couple of words. And then we open into Ma's chapter, where she's thinking in her native language of Chinese, and we realize, oh my God, this is a completely different person than the one her own daughter sees. Um, And that's one of the tragedies that occurs, you know, thousands, millions of times across the world. I loved the alternating voices in the book. I I just felt like it added such texture and richness and this sort of really profound um, expression of everything you just said, this sort of multifaceted view of a family that wouldn't, I don't know how you would have done it through a single narrator so thank you for for putting multiple narrators in your book Jean (laughs) (laughs) well that's great to hear you know because I think one of the treats of the book for um, readers is that for the extent of the book you know they are native speakers in English Chinese and Dutch and they can you know have the joy and the humor of the expressions they are like fish in the water you know Mm -hmm. they are actually the actually the reader is the only person who has all the pieces of the puzzle by the end of the book we don't want to spoil how the book ends but we do want to ask you about sylvie's disappearance anisa from our facebook group asked if you always knew how sylvie's disappearance would wrap up And Nancy wants to know how Sylvie's pressure to excel, assimilate, and be accepted influenced her struggles and her disappearance. Right. And I think think those are two truly excellent questions. I did know from the very beginning what happened to Sylvie. Mm. Um, And it wasn't that I planned that first. That wasn't the first decision that came in the book. But I spend a lot of time working on structure and pacing of the novel as a whole. And I, to me, that's really important. If I didn't know how the book was going to end, I could never set it up properly for my reader. You know, I have to, I'm trying to write a book in which readers are entertained and enlightened at the same time. So while I'm dealing with all these issues of immigration and culture and language, I'm hoping that the reader is having a great time unraveling the mystery. And in order for that unraveling to happen seamlessly, I need to know where we're going. You know, I need to know that, oh, that's not the killer. Oh, that is the killer. Like, if I didn't know that, like, we would be in one big mess. So um, <laughs> I, I do I do know deliberately, you know, from the very beginning, step by step, what information does each person know? What information does each narrator know? What is the reader thinking at this point? And obviously, I can't predict for all readers. As to how Sylvie's ambition and drive led to the ending, you know, they are, of course, directly connected. I think the ending is a perfect storm. And I know um, there are readers who are like, oh, but, 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 
you know, I understand. I feel, I feel your pain. I do. You know, I, I just, um, you know, it, it's just one of those situations where everything happened. It's like the tower just topples, you know, because all of these things just happened at exactly the right time. People are in the were feeling, you know, the passion that they felt at that moment so that a course of action becomes inevitable. And um, if things had played out a little differently, you know, maybe if it had been a little bit more sunny in the Netherlands, who knows what would have <laughs> happened? You know, we could have had a very different ending. You're listening to the Book Club Girl podcast, where our guest this week is Jean Kwok and whose book Searching for Sylvie Lee is out now. You can read more about Jean's book at bookclubgirl.com. Coming up on the Book Club Girl podcast, we ask Jean about her literary white whale. Stick around. This episode of the Book Club Girl podcast is brought to you by If You Leave Me by Crystal Hannah Kim. Devastating and beautiful, If You Leave Me tells the story of two childhood friends turned star-crossed lovers. They are separated by the Korean War and reunited years later, setting off a chain of events that will affect her family for generations. It's available now wherever books are sold. Welcome back to the show. Each week, we bring you a fascinating new conversation with an author who's written a book that Tavia and I think is a great choice for book clubs to read together. Today, author Jean Kwok is here with us answering questions from her readers. Each episode, we ask an author, what is your literary white whale? It's a book they've either always meant to read or when they started reading and never finished. So Jean, what is your literary white whale? So the literary white whale, you know, that is a great question because of course I, you know, I was an immigrant kid who wound up going to Harvard. And in between, there were a lot of years when I wanted to educate myself and I would make these long random lists of classics that I would then plow through. And I loved some of them. Uh, Some of them I read and did not fully understand, but I pretty much always read everything that I had on my list but I had this one book on my list that is I think the classic white whale and that was war and peace (laughs) and I just could not get through it I just couldn't get through it I mean it was so big I mean it kind of broke my back to take it home from the public library every single time and I was I would you know and I'm a fast reader I really read fast but not fast enough because I would just read and read and read and then there'd still be like five volumes left you know that I hadn't read um and then it was so confusing especially when I at the point when I tried to read it when I wasn't I think fully competent in English I mean I spoke but I was young I was in high school and just the way that he Tolstoy changes the naming you know that a person would have 20 different names within (laughs) the course of the novel because of their position you know Uh who's talking to them and so on that has made me become very careful and consistent about naming in my own books but I've never (laughs) gone through it and I still mean to but I have not (laughs) <laughs> you're I think you're right that is like the quintessential it's a tough one yeah that's a tough one yeah. I've, I've never read it Tavi have you no gosh no no <laughs> maybe, maybe when I'm retired maybe when I'm retired the three of us one day can have a <laughs> oh we will that'll up. be good we'll go to on a retreat and we'll bring war and peace and it, it will be so heavy it will be very heavy in our bags <laughs> 
Jean, um, oh my gosh, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. We love talking to you. It was a really fantastic conversation. Well, thank you. I've been loving your podcast series. I've been listening to every episode. So it's such an honor and a privilege to be able to be a part of it. Thank oh, you guys so much. Jean, thank you so much. Thank this you. was awesome. That was Jean Kwok, whose book, Searching for Sylvie Lee, is out now. To find out more about Jean's book and how to buy it, head to bookclubgirl.com, where you can also find links to everything mentioned in this episode. Like what you heard? Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, give us a rating and please leave a review. Another way to help spread the word about the Book Club Girl podcast is to tell a friend. It really helps others to find us. You'll hear from us again in two weeks, where we'll be speaking with Jennifer Chiaverini, author of Resistance Women. You can join that conversation, too, if you've read Resistance Women and have a question for Jennifer. Post them in the comments on our Book Club Girls Facebook group or call us at 212-207-7336. And you can also send us an email, thegirls at bookclubgirl.com. We would really love to hear from you. Before we go, a big thank you to Jordan Gosperay, who produced today's episode, Catherine Barnaby for recording this interview, Jessica Williams, editor extraordinaire, who introduced us to Jean, and to our terrific engineer, Violet Furton. And I'd also like to thank my amazing co-host, Eliza Rosenberry. Oh, Tavia. Couldn't do it without you. So nice. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Tavia. And I'm Eliza. Happy reading. When I still lived in the Netherlands, Grandma used to let me play with her jewelry if we were alone in her room. It was the one thing she never shared with Lucas. The only way she let it be marked that I was her direct blood relative. Our family had been rich before the communist revolution took over China, and much of our wealth had been hidden in the form of jewelry. Some pieces had been in our family for generations. When I was little, I especially loved the articulated carp pendant set with imperial jade. The emerald green stones were so translucent and vibrant that the fish seemed alive, and I would make it swim across Grandma's bed. You were made to wear, Jade, Snow Jasmine. See how it comes to life against your skin, Grandma said. But I never dared. I was a coward, a hero with only socks on, because of the one time I had skipped down the stairs while admiring a marquee-cut gold ring set with diamonds that was much too big for my finger, and Helena had caught me. The anger on her face had been as clear to read as parts of a book. Where did you get that? I had turned and fled back upstairs to Grandma's room, where the treasure was still spread across the bed. Helena had burst into the room, and we all stood there, the three of us, as silent and unmoving as blocks of ice. Grandma gestured with her fingers. I took off the ring and handed it to her. Without a word, Grandma gathered it all up, and put it back in her jewelry bag. She waited until Helena had left to hide it again. None of us had ever spoken of the incident. Grandma did not like to mention death, because it was bad luck. But she had said to me many times before I left for America, If anything ever happens to me, Snow Jasmine, you must take this. It is for you, your sister, and your mother. This was given to me by my mother.
and to her by her mother, and so it must remain. <laughs>